first of all, I want to thank you very much for taking your time out to talk with me. Okay. No, it's my pleasure. This is, uh, this is a radio show out of Kansas City. Our goal is to further the jazz craft, uh, throw a spotlight on the cats for doing the good work out there, and you're one of the finest in the world, and, and I thank you again. Oh, let me just say this, Joe. <laughs> I just left. See, I, I, I had one of my cars that I had to go pick up one of my cars. You know, some of my cars. And the guy is a big jazz fan. He's head of the German uh, audience, well, not audio, but auto repairs and stuff. Big jazz fan. I said, you know what, man? There are three ways you can manage money. You can save it. You can spend it. Or you can give it away. Yeah. I'm in a stage in my life, I'm giving a lot of stuff away. I hear you. And you know, it, it, but you, I'm able to give it away discreetly. In other words, you know, I don't hand out money to guys at the end of the freeway talking about work for food, because I know that many times it's a, it's a sham and a scam. Absolutely. But, but I, I try to give discreetly, and I'm able to do that while i got my senses about me. Well, that comes with wisdom, doesn't it? I, I think so. <laughs> because there are, there are so-called professional beggars. They maim, I read this article some time ago, they maim their children, they do all kinds of things in order to, in, to uh, enlist sympathy or generate sympathy for themselves and thereby causing harm to others as well as themselves. Yeah. So, you know, a, a wise or discreet giver is better than an ignorant one. Absolutely. Amen. So yeah, that's when you said that, it reminded me of the last few weeks. So I was in Atlanta about two weeks ago, two, three, I don't know. What, anyway, doing the same thing, being benevolent, because what I'm doing is giving, for the same reason, support this art form. Absolutely. And that's our whole residential. We're here to further the craft and talking to cool cats like you and others in the Kansas City scene has only made what we're doing that much more to put the uh, music and the personalities and if there's ever a genre that has really good stories and really interesting bios it's jazz okay you know I, I did alright I did a project here in LA at the jazz they call it the Grammy Museum downtown they, right near the Staples Center where the the Lakers play their basketball. Here's what is so important. If you can, you, you can manage to do that, if you can tap into the real young ones, because the whole audience was comprised of kids no more than about four or five years old. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, t- and some, you know, like, look like they three, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and I think that that is so important because if you could probably, you probably remember some of the, the most memorable experiences that you've ever had was things that happened in your early childhood. Yes. But where you don't have space to remember other things. So if you can if you can indelibly inculcate into the young one this desire to hear this music, let me tell you, you got a great you mean I think at the roots is, is very important to tap into. So that's why I participated in that. Actually D D Bridgewater was on that project and a guy by the name of uh, Steve Barter wrote the music and you know in fact he he got me involved and he got out also uh, Al Jarreau and I re- recorded something on this project called Jumping Jazz Jumping Jazz it, it was really dedicated to the kids sure showing them how to relate to this music that we do absolutely that's I was it. very excited about participating in that project and it was also a benevolent one for me you know you know donating my time and energies and whatever I can give to, to in order to promote that kind of thing 
I know it's not going to be a panacea for everything, but at least it's, you know, it's, it's a small contribution. Participate in something like that. I, I try to do it. Yeah, it's the small things. They add up, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, since we're in Kansas City, before I start into my questions here that I have, you mentioned last night you had a good friend, a friend in Kansas City that played with Miles Davis. Um, what, what was their experience like, and how are they involved in the Kansas City area? Well, let me say first that it was not he was not the one who played with Miles. His father was the one who played with Miles. I got gotcha. you. Uh, the guy who lives in Kansas City's name is Mark Strozier. S T R O Z I E R. His dad's name is Frank Strozier. Okay. Played with Miles Davis during the time that George Coleman and, uh, and George Coleman was in the band. I forgot some of the rhythm section people there at that time. It may have been before he had Herbie and Ron Carter and uh, Tony Williams. It may have been before that period. But uh, his father, Frank Strozier, a brilliant alto saxophone player. He played alto with Miles, and also um, during the time that George Coleman was playing tennis sax in that band. I don't know how long, but so I don't know what kind of contribution that because Frank does not live in Kansas City. It's Mark who lives there, and he's got a chiropractic pra- practice, and he's but he's very. I mean, he's very unique. This guy. I mean, because I think it's because of his musical uh, experience, it contributes to his cognition. Totally. So he's the next ex- extraordinary uh, chiropractor. Well, I tell you what. Let me go ahead and go start with the interview here. And my first question is this: Being born and raised in Houston, how did that help cultivate your love of jazz? Uh, well, you know, I, I I know that religion, religious music, is the, is the root of uh, improvised music. I was reared in, uh, across the street from a honky-tonk, you know, a real live honky-tonk that I heard it pretty much every night, small place called Miss Mary's Place. Matter of fact, my brother Ronnie wrote a, a piece uh, with that name, Miss Mary's Place. And uh, so it was, it, was, it was a rhythm and blues that I heard a lot of at that time. And also being, having been involved in the Baptist church, you know, I heard much of the music that uh, stands as a basis or roots for what we're doing today. So improvisation is something that, you know, I guess enhanced. We probably had the ability to do it, but it was somewhat enhanced by the environment. And so the environment for me was uh, uh, the Baptist church, which was, uh, you know, it's gospel music. And then across the street was the rhythm and blues, which I didn't find too much different from each other, <laughs> too much, because there was a lot of emotion involved in both. Sure. And that's what I feel, you know, is, 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 is uh, very much uh, impacts what I do in terms of improvisation. So I really don't know the exact reason or the way uh, I'm able to improvise, but... I'm just recounting to you what my roots are. Absolutely. Speaking of roots, you have seven brothers and sisters who are musically inclined. What was it about your childhood that lent you all to get into music? Mainly because we had a piano there. My mother was a, was the pianist for the Baptist church. And we also sang a lot. And it was just something that sort of grew as 
spontaneously out of the family. I suppose the, the music talent was in the genes, you know. Yeah. So, speaking of multiple talents, you have a background in both classical and jazz. What do you prefer playing? I don't have any particular preference. I, I, I think it's more challenging <laughs> to improvise. Uh, I think with classical, well, the music I love. I just love <clears throat> the, the great prowess of these classical composers. <clears throat> and, and some of my favorites are composers like <laughs> Shostakovich, uh, Tchaikovsky, Prokofiev, Richard Strauss. Most of most of my favorites seem to come from from Russia. I don't understand why. I, I had the opportunity to visit Russia uh, twice. We almost went there this month, but the things did not iron out. It was kind of a last minute notice, so it didn't iron out this time. But I know that there's a school in Petersburg, which is not too far from Moscow, and I've got a friend who's a pianist. He's from, he went to that school. I know two of, two persons who went to that school, and one of them is uh, Eugene Maslow, very unsung hero, of magnificent composer and pianist, and he's so humble. And yet he's, you know, he plays in a bar, I mean, you know, a piano bar somewhere up there in Massachusetts. It's really sad, but this man is phenomenal. And another person who went to that school is Igor. Uh, what's Igor's last name? Can't think of it right now. I got a metal block. But anyway, the classical music that uh, that influences me, that has influenced me more, has been these people like Rimsky Korsakov as well. You know, he's the one who wrote Scheherazade. Now he also came from Russia. Mm-hmm. And uh, but there's one who, two who are really outstanding for me in the Wagnerian, uh, uh, not Wagnerian, but the the. Uh, um, um, the German composers, and that's Wagner and uh, Richard Strauss. Not Johann. Johann's one wrote all those waltzes. Right. But uh, Richard Strauss. And, you know, I, I know many, many people talk about Mozart, but, my, you know, Mozart to me, you know, he, he was in, I think his music was somewhere in the 1700s. And uh, for me, you know, it's very tonal. I mean, to me, uh, Brahms and Beethoven had much more substance in their music. I know Mozart's like the Beatles, you know, classical music to me, okay? Sure. Uh, I, 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 I think, boy, you mean, you really, <laughs> I'm reminding myself of a lot of stuff that I'm trying to speak, but I can only say one thing at a time. Sure. But to try to, to answer your questions with my preference, I actually don't have a preference mm-hmm. because I find a lot of delight and satisfaction in listening and playing a variety of music, and, and, and many can uh, generate, a, 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 evoke a strong response in me. Absolutely. So uh, I can't really give a preference. Gotcha. So in your early days when you were playing with the Swingsters, what was that like learning the jazz craft and getting into it? Well, we were a bunch of teenagers, and we were listening to persons uh, who were exposed to us by, by, via radio or, or, or vinyl records. And we had our heroes, too, you know. Uh, we tend to listen to the, to the players who played our instrument. I happened to listen to people like Lee Konitz because I was playing uh, alto saxophone at the time. Uh, 
the text. And subsequently, I played uh, Lieutenant, but I listened to people like him and Paul Desmond because that's all we could hear down south. They dominated the airways for whatever jazz was being exposed. They were the ones who were exposed. I hadn't even heard about uh, uh, Coltrane and Bird until uh, my band director, high school band director, one day just sat us there and talked to us and began to expose us to those players. They didn't have any airplay down south. Uh, speaking of Coltrane, Cannonball, and Bird, those guys. But I was exposed to them in high school. And not only I, but the other members of the Crusaders, well, we called Crusaders later, but uh, they called, we would call it uh, Jazz Sextet, Modern Jazz Sextet, when we were in high school. And when we left there to come to Los Angeles, uh, the names were changed a couple of times to the Swingsters and ultimately to the Jazz Crusaders. I, by that time, I wasn't with the group. I had left to go to school. I got the scholarship to the Juilliard School. And they, they began to record. I think the first jazz record was with Pacific Coast, uh, Pacific Jazz Records. So the influence we all have is somewhat similar, listening to records that we were exposed to and, and trying to form our own musical personalities as a result. So speaking of the Juilliard School, what was it like to go to school there and to be taught by the master flutist Julius Baker? <laughs> I laugh because my lessons were not so much lessons. He wasn't teaching as, as so much as he was uh, displaying his own, his own musical ability or, or prowess. And, uh, but it resulted in something good because I'm a good learner when it comes to observation. That's how I learned a lot. So he was a great model or pattern for me in that way. Now, when I, the reason why I laugh is because my lessons were usually every Saturday with him, private lessons. And uh, he would want to know who I dated on. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it was kind of funny. So we kind of remained you know, in touch a long time after that. You know, you know, he died in 2004. I think it's 2003, 2004. But uh, he, just like you and I talk, and we talk a lot, and he's always cracking jokes. He had a very sardonic kind of uh, sense of humor. <laughs> In fact, many times he didn't even, he wasn't trying to be funny, but he was just funny to me anyway, because he reminded me of uh, uh, Archie Bunker and All in the Family. He almost <laughs> looked like it. <laughs> oh, that's nice. Um, when you when you look back on your career and you talked about uh, you've had some time on the tenor sax, the the evolution of the swingsters into the jazz crusaders, and all these things that have happened in your evolutionary track through jazz, talk to me about your career. How how do you feel about it right now? Oh my goodness, it is so wonderful. You know, it has been the most satisfying satisfying experiences me to be be involved. Uh, in music in general, and in particular, being able to improvise. I had no idea it would have such an impact on my overall health, you know, because our health really is much dependent on our spirit, the way we think about intangible things. Mm -hmm. Of course, uh, music is an intangible. And so it, it really appeals to the spirit of a person. And I had no idea that it would act as a panacea for for problems that you come up with. I mean, dealing with uh, issues 
uh, and how you think, how it would be enhancing to your cognition. I mean, there's been so many things I can't even, I can't delineate everything, I mean, uh, to you, but it has been a very positive experience. Uh, I think what has happened, though, uh, I, I pay so much attention to the development in music that I may have overlooked some of the more important decisions. Some of, some of the, I shouldn't say more, uh, but they're very important. For instance, in the selection of a mate. Now, and relationships. Now, I've, had, I've got good relationship with my family and my siblings. Uh, with my mother, who's 93, and uh, but you know, I pay little attention to selecting a mate. You know, we pay a lot of attention, a lot of attention to things sometimes at the expense of not paying the right amount of attention to people. And the only regrets I have is not having done the latter, because. Uh, and in the terms of a mate now, I'm talking about only in the terms of a mate because I have good friends and I have great relationships with a lot of people. And, and that's one of the perks for playing this music. I'm able to make more friends everywhere I go. I mean, I'm able to make additional friends. And it's very good because modern technology helps me to stay in touch with these friends. Yeah. yeah such as email and texting and all these other te technologies that, that helps communication. So that, that's just one of the perks, um, but there there are many that music has brought to me. It keeps me searching, it keeps me learning, it makes me feel that you know it has gives me a reason to get up every day so that I can you know so improve my skills or maintain or improve the skills. So it's it's just a wonderful vehicle in general, and I never chose it. It was something I just sort of fell into. I never sat with a counselor in school, you know, a career counselor who told me, well, you ought to do this or do that. I, I, it just fell into place. I mean, I became beneficiary of unseen circumstances. Excellent. So during the 1970s, you received three Grammy nominations. Would you consider that your peak period of creating music? Mm, no. Well, not the Grammys, but... I think I was more more prolific in writing music, and uh, there's a, you know there's an age where we have more time to deal with issues because we don't have that much time behind us. Like a little baby who, uh, <laughs> just like I talked to you earlier about those toddlers who were at that concert, mm -hmm. they didn't have a lot of history at that age, so they you know they can focus more and they've got a lot of energy and time ahead of them. So. During that time, I wasn't worried about, you know, thinking about, I didn't have that much history, therefore, I had more time to deal with various issues, various things. I have less time to deal with things now because there's a lot of stuff I have to maintain because there's an accumulation of things as you grow older that need to be managed. Sure. And it, it really absorbs a lot of time in order to try to manage these things. Not only things, but relationships. Sure. So um, I wouldn't say it was my peak. I think that uh, our experiences are like hills and valleys, or mountains and valleys, if you will. You can have you can you can have peaks at times, and you can have lows sometimes. And it's a reflection of the music we play as well. In music, you have uh, you know the same scenario where you've got peaks and valleys, 
you know, tension and release. So it's the same kind of scenario. So I, no, Grammy is just something, you know, I, I look at it as, you know, an award that's given to us, some, some kind of recognition. But I wouldn't use that as a barometer for success, any kind of success that I have, because I feel like I'm continually learning, you know, continually learning, trying to progress, trying to improve. Wonderful. Speaking of, you've released around 20 albums um, over your career as, as the leader. What are you most proud of? Well, <laughs> you know what? I recorded a record uh, called Family. Uh, I think it was in 81 and uh, somewhere in there. And I did all, of, all the arrangements and the writing, except for, I believe, Bolero, written by Ravel, but I did the arrangements on that. And I feel like it sort of uh, reflected a total picture of uh, what I had learned to do, because on that record, it shows various kinds of genres, you know, I mean, it has some straight-ahead jazz there, you had some uh, sort of fusion, and you have the classical Ravel's Bolero, and uh, you had a little bit of Latin here and there. So it was like a, an amalgam of, uh, of idioms right there on the one record. However, on my trip back in Houston, I was listening to a record that sort of spontaneously happened with the, uh, the Japanese keyboardist, who I think is, she was a child prodigy. I just happened to meet her um, at a session she had invited me to play on at the Capitol Records here in L.A. And come to find out that she had classical background, but she also improvised. So we, I heard her one day, I invited her over, and she was playing on my piano. She was playing the Rachmaninoff piano concerto. And when I walked downstairs, from a, I, I told her, I said, you know, we ought to do something with that. So it resulted in a CD we ultimately released called... Uh, uh, adaptations, I think, of Barber and Rachmaninoff. And that's, I think that's the last CD that I produced. Now, I'm in the process of doing some others, but I'm very happy with the outcome of that particular CD. Not so much for the virtuosity or playing. It's great virtuosity as far as she's concerned and, and, and the way that the, the record goes. But it's the whole effect that it produces in an individual when they hear it. If you listen to it, as I suggested, on the earphones, it ex excludes all extraneous noises, and you're able to hear the pure music that's, that's on that CD. Absolutely. Very happy with that. That's, you know, there are others as well, but uh, that's what comes to mind as you ask that question right now. Wonderful. Your career has included a host of collaborations with folks like Chet Baker, Kenny Burrell, Chick Corea, one of my favorite, Milt uh, Baggs-Jackson, Quincy Jones, McCartney, on and on and on. Who have you liked collaborating with the most? Oh, that's just like the question you asked me about jazz and classical. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I was just on the phone when I was in Houston with Stevie Wonder. Now, you would say, oh, man, why, why would you say that? Well, because I learned something about Stevie. Uh, I played on a record of his about two years ago. I think it is uh, Love, The Blood's on Fire. And I learned something about him that I had not known. I mean, this guy has an acumen for uh, for playing jazz. I mean, you know, he played giant steps on piano when I was we backstage at the Kodak Theater. He and Herbie, Herbie Hancock, and I, I didn't know he played like that. Not only that, you know, his harmonic and melodic uh, 
Ackerman is, is just so wonderful. I learned so much about him. So it doesn't matter that it's, it's it, you know, his music is known mostly for pop. You know, but he has much more substance to his music, you know, it makes, it's just like Earth, Wind, and Fire. You know, it makes me want to listen. Mm-hmm. And it has so much more substance just than, than, than the rhythmic appeal that most people sort of respond to. Sure. Oh, I can't really say I, I, I mentioned him because, um, you know, he's one that's so well known, and so is Quincy. But, uh, and I, I had some great experiences with Quincy. I remember we played a concert uh, at the Greek Theater here in Los Angeles where he and uh, Roberta Flack shared the stage, and that was one a highlight for me, and, uh, and it was a memorable experience. But, I mean, there's been so many great experiences. I've had. I just happened to run into uh, some, some slides of a session uh, done in New York with uh, Freddie Hubbard, uh, Joe uh, Henderson, Ron Carter, Jack DeJohnette, and uh, Kenny Barron. I just happened to see that just the other night. I just stumbled up to it. Onto it. Now, that was a great record we did. I think it was called Super Blue. I think that was the name of the CD. But that, 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 that was a wonderful experience. And there have been so many, you know, there's just been so many experiences, and I'm very gratified to have been a part of it. I just got an email from, uh, from, from, uh, from Chick, because, uh, you know, I'm always in awe of his wonderful artistry. I mean, his great talent. The guy writes and plays so magnificently. And he was, you know, and we went to school together, believe it or not. We were at Juilliard together. He was there one year. I thought he was there for four, but, <laughs> but he just reminded me he, only went, he went only one year. But my experiences with him, just to be in, in, in his company on the same stage with him, is just so gratifying. The man is just like a genius. But he's all, <laughs> I wish I could share it with the details, but I mean, it's almost like an ego trip for him responding and telling me what he told me, but I, I'm, I'm not into that. I'm just into hearing and being inspired by being with people like, like him and the ones I mentioned before. Wonderful. Let me ask you this. What, what jazz music are you listening to these days? Oh. Uh, well... I can't enumerate all of them because I listen to such a variety, you know. I mean, I'm apt to get up and listen to a Shostakovich symphony, and then one day, you know, I carry my iPad and iPod with me when I'm on the plane, and I get a chance to hear a variety of things, and I choose them, you know, according to my a whim. So I'm not going to focus on any one particular one. I mean, there's, there's such a variety of them. I can't answer that question, you know, to be specific, because I listen to a variety all the time. Sure. So, 2012, how's the jazz craft doing? How do you feel it's evolved over the decades? Uh, how's jazz doing these days? Well, as far as I know, that there are some great innovators. When, when I say innovators, I'm talking about new players, young players, who are playing the stuff we thought was very difficult uh, as if it's nothing. Now, I had an experience in Atlanta. There was this woman who was singing, and uh, we just happened to go to this place to eat, and I understand this local jazz place called Dante's, I believe it was. And after she sang, she came over and introduced herself, and then she let me hear a recording of her 14-year-old son. It just it happened to be on her cell phone, and she... And she played, and this young kid was playing Donna Lee, and you should have heard him play Donna Lee. 
you know, music is a language indeed. And um, I think because the young, if they're exposed to the language early, they can speak it. Mm-hmm. And they speak it with ease. And I, he's not, he's just, an, you know, like a microcosm of many others that I've heard at a young age playing this very difficult, some very difficult lines and then improv, improvising as though they've been playing for many, many, many years. So uh, that's the state. That's what's happening. There are some ambassadors of this music who are out there. They're creating. I'm not aware of a lot of it because my time doesn't allow it. I've known so many things. But there, the ones I have heard, I'm very astounded. Wonderful. At, at their abilities uh, to play and improvise, you know, and to do very uh, virtuoso things on the instrument. Excellent. Let me speak a little bit about venues and places that you've played throughout the years. Where do you like to play the most? Where have been some of the best memories you've cultivated? You know what? I forgot so many, many, many venues, so <laughs> it would be fair to select just one. But uh, I tell you, these jazz, some jazz festivals, not the big, huge, huge concert places, because it doesn't know, to me, for my instrument, unless there's really excellent amplification with a good engineer, then it doesn't lend itself to the, my instrument, uh, the flute. So uh, I have had some very nice experience in various concert halls. One was in Moscow, and it was a club in Moscow. There are some places in Japan where we played, and uh, we played one also just, uh, somebody sent me a YouTube link, and we were playing in, uh, uh, in the Philippines and Manila, and also a place, uh, uh, the Litchfield Jazz Festival. We did something else, uh, another place. Well, that brings in the fact that we have wonderful musicians in my group, my traveling group. Uh, David Butway on keyboard, on acoustic piano, and uh, Rob Mullins on uh, the synthesized keyboards, and uh, Ralph Pimlin on drums, and John Leftwich on bass. I have wonderful background, uh, or let's say, I shouldn't say background, I should really say uh, sharers of this music, because we all expose, you know, uh, into the artistry and, and cooperate with each other to make this music. Uh, so there have been various venues that I, that I remember that have been, you know, conducive to playing well. I would, I did this jazz masters uh, thing recently, and I was at uh, in New York City. That was a nice venue too, uh, right there, Juilliard. The Juilliard—I don't know what the official name is for that place, but it's like a concert hall, a real nice concert hall. And that's where they—they uh, they have the—I they, don't know if they call it the Juilliard Museum or Jazz uh, at Juilliard, something like that. But it's a venue that's dedicated. To exposing this music, and I went to Marcellus. I think he's been the director of it. Wonderful. Speaking of the awards, you were just talking about the Jazz Masters, and you got an award from the National Endowment of the Arts again this year. You were the number one flutist in, in the Downbeat Poll. What did these awards over the years mean to you? And these big awards. Well, oh <laughs> uh, God. You know, I'm humbled by this, that, I mean, you know, the wars, but uh, uh, I think people give awards to people, 
rather than giving the recognition to the, the, the benefactor of this wonderful art form, the creator. See, I'm a firm believer in the intelligence that gifted us with this wonderful art form. So I just feel like there's, you know, there are persons who give, who given recognition at the expense of ignoring the benefactor. You see? Yes. And, and, and I just feel, you know, that that kind of recognition is the, is, is, is the most important. You know, it, it, you know well, it's, it's good, you know, to be honored with, you know, certain recognition. I'm sure that's a good feeling, but um, I just feel like there's so many who, who are neglected and are not known. But the supreme one that's, that, that's neglected is the creator of this gift, because it's definitely a gift. Absolutely. And I'm, you know, I'm on the way home, just a few minutes ago, I was listening to a program. This guy I was listening to, his name is Dennis Prager. Dennis Prager was talking about uh, how just simply being grateful helps to build your character and also helps you to be a happy person. I thought a lot about that. I said, you know, that makes so much sense. A person who is grateful contributes to his own happiness. Yeah. Because what you're doing is building character. Now, do you ever want to be with a person who's ungrateful? No. You know, you, you never want to be around a person like that. You actually, when you're grateful, you're always giving, you know, thanking a person for, for yielding or giving, then you want to be around them. You know, you gravitate to that person. It, it, it makes so much sense. That's just for something reason. I just got out of my car and I come ask your, your call, and I was listening to that guy talk about being grateful. Yeah, absolutely. But now I'm grateful for whatever recognition because it helps me to continue being a messenger. You know, if you have recognition, then people, then, then venues will probably invite you to play music for them. And that way, it's like a, a cycling of events. You get a chance to play your music, and you get a chance to meet more people. And if they like what you do, you may be able to be invited back, those kinds of things. So that recognition is good. Absolutely. Yeah. So what's going on with you these days with projects, future projects? What's happening? Well, uh, we're in the process. Here recently, I've been playing with an ensemble that includes voice, guitar, and flute. Believe it or not, no rhythm section. Hmm. And that's Tyranny Sutton, who's a vocalist, wonderful vocalist. Uh, Larry Coons is on guitar. We're in the process of recording a trio album. Uh, and I'm getting ready to do another one here that I'm in the process. If I can find enough time, which is very difficult these days, uh, I was just in the studio yesterday, and we were making plans, and, and we've already put down some tracks. So I'm in, I'm still recording, you know, when I can find the time, and uh, and playing concerts here and there. But my main objective is to continue developing, maintaining, sure, and and making friends by means of this music. Speaking of, my last question here I have for you. When you look into what can be, what what's what's in store for you? What what do you want to accomplish? What's left for you to accomplish? Wow, I haven't really given that much thought, except that I uh, still want to, be, you know, to do something uh, that will uh, make persons want to gravitate to what we do. 
I want to be able to improve a person's character by virtue of listening to the music we produce. That's what I would like, and, and I already really pretty much answered that question by saying that uh, I want to continue developing, improving, and then produce some music that is really, you know, that can get some of the response we've had in the past, which people come up and sometimes with tears in their eyes, saying how much they've been gratified and how, you know, thank you so much. I mean, it, it, music has many times uh, marked a period in people's lives. Like, uh, when they hear that music again, it sort of marked these periods and, and highlights it for them. And when they, so it's nostalgic when they hear it. So those are the kind of moments I'd like to be able to uh, contribute to in a person's life, if that makes any sense to you. Absolutely. Absolutely makes sense. Again, thank you for taking your time out. I know you're a busy man. And uh, keep, on, uh, keep on making the jazz fly. Okay, you have an integral part as well by exposing it. <laughs> okay, Joe. My pleasure. Take care, sir. All right, bye. Bye-bye. Neon Jazz.